Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. You're here with your host, Nick Muniz. Today on the show, we've got Thomas J. Stanley with The Millionaire Next Door. Rich people. Who are these people? Where do they come from? How do I invest? Can I become a rich person? I think the unspoken divide in society isn't racism, it's classism. If you're ever feeling down, just remember you're closer to being a millionaire than Jeff Bezos is. <laughs> Wealth disparity? It's only growing by the year. So are you going to be on Team Broke Boy? Or are you going to be stashing NNF NFTs out here? Why can't you compare billionaire Tim Cook and Donald Trump? That's apples and oranges. Thomas J. Stanley is here to say billionaires don't get rich because they save better than us. They get rich because they're born into intergenerational wealth. He's actually saying that millionaires, they're so smart because they think different than us. Here's a quick tip from the IRS. Not at any time during the past 30 years have I found that a typical millionaire had more than 30% of his wealth invested in publicly traded stocks. They were at the low 20% range. Sack up, boys. Double down your bets. Double down. Millionaires aren't pussies. Thomas says 90% of millionaires who live in homes valued at under $300,000 are extremely satisfied with life. What's that old Buddha adage? It's totally your house that's standing between you and satisfaction. What do you call an Irish millionaire? A ginger bread man. It's the whole thing. How are these people online at the mall affording the new Chanel bag? I got my hand over on the Hyundai Sonata trying to win a free car. The line is around the mall. The dude with the Ford Mustang on Main Street is indebted on a lease. Wealthy people are a sneaky species. As he said, they live in under $300,000 houses. They have the ability to camouflage. Lil Wayne, the young money millionaire, he was actually a straight A student. Wheezy warned us, real gangsters move in silence. This is a certified hood classic. How did the millionaire gardener get rich so quick? He was running a huge pansy scheme. Thomas is perfect for the show. He's got a self-empowering message to get across. Mr. Stanley says, America is still the land of opportunity. Over the past 30 years, I've consistently found that 80-85% to 85% of millionaires are self-made. There's great pride, joy, and satisfaction derived in building your own fortune. Did you hear about the obese millionaire? He's got a four chin. <laughs> what do you call a Chinese millionaire? Cha-ching. Ladies and gentlemen, we will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Welcome back about the author Thomas J. Stanley. It's kind of sad, so just make sure you're subscribed to Harry Schwant on Instagram and Patreon.com slash The Niche. That's where you're going to get your joy, your grace. It's beautiful over there. And the top secret books are absolutely on fire. Usership is growing. Mr. Stanley... This guy's no longer with us. Born 1944, died 2015. He wrote The Millionaire Mind and The Millionaire Next Door. Thomas Stanley was born in the Bronx in 1944. His father drove a subway car. He's not writing about his own family in this book. In 2015, he was killed by a drunk driver at the age of 71. Yeah. Dark humor is a lot like drunk driving. It kills when you cross over the line. 
<laughs> uh, I got to turn the crickets off. T.J. Stanley was working with his daughter to write this book, uh, and then he got plastered. She took it to the New York Times, and they put up a front for her to turn it into the book it is today. Oh, huge story. And he taught in Georgia for most of his life. Did you hear about the Georgian farmer who got robbed? He was peachless. Why did Georgia sleep with Florida? Because they're swing states. Subscribe on that Patreon. Hit up Instagram. Harry Shrent, over 20,000 followers. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. <laughs> the Million Next Door, Chapter 1. Meet the Millionaire Next Door. Here's a toothy quote to start this text. These people cannot be millionaires. They don't look like millionaires. They don't dress like millionaires. They don't eat like millionaires. They don't act like millionaires. They don't even have millionaire names. Where are the millionaires who look like millionaires? A vice president of trust at some department said this to Thomas. Who are these people? Shouldn't they be like football-playing cowboy astronauts in space? The average person thinks a millionaire does a fit check while leaving their mansion. They hop into their wraith with a roll-on. Most millionaires don't own artifacts. This vice president was going on about his trust office in the boardroom. I'm the vice president. I get the second highest paycheck here. Every last one of you are sitting there in a suit you can't afford. <laughs> he was going, in my day, in my day, it was a sign of respect to let the boss have the nicest car. <laughs> I said this point on the show. I guess it's going to be a theme for the ep. In the USA, everybody thinks they're a Kardashian. They live above their means. So we got this vice president. Who are these millionaires? Everybody's like, he knows how much they make in the office, and they shouldn't be spending that much. Thomas moves on to say, the first time I heard the phrase, big hat, no cattle, was from a 35-year-old Texas business owner. The man was a millionaire by manufacturing engine parts. The guy lived in a modest house in a lower-middle-class neighborhood, he would wear jeans and a flannel. You wouldn't be able to tell. Here's a quote from the entrepreneur. My business don't look pretty. I don't play the part. Don't act it. When my British partners first met me, they thought I was one of our truck drivers. I don't own big hats, but I do own a lot of cattle. TJ's giving us an exercise. Picture a millionaire. All right, we already did that. That was a pretty good quote, though. You have a big hat, but you don't actually have any assets and cattle. Uh, another stat, one half of millionaires occupy their home for over 20 years. Like a jet-set lifestyle being on the run, that's all sold to you <laughs> to make you spend the money once you get it. Thomas is going to continue with this next-door neighbor in disguise crap. The way I've heard it described, there are three tiers of millionaires. Tier 1 is $30 million dollars. Is what we're talking about today. Like low-key millionaires aren't even considered wealthy anymore in the circles of smarm. The second tier smarmy, they consider $100 million. Your capital will take care of itself indefinitely. This is called intergenerational wealth. And then tier three is over $300 million. You could start buying media outlets, private armies. You are a small city. That's the GDP of a city. 300 milli. You see, like, this is only the millionaire list. 
<laughs> We're not talking about billionaires today. Billionaires operate like their own nation. Like if millionaires are their own city at a certain point, you have no laws when you're a billionaire. <laughs> Thomas is going on. A lot of millionaires enroll their kids in public school. Cool, bro. That's why none of these fucking nickel and dimers are going to reach the billionaire status. Billy is the new Millie. That's a certified hood classic. Moving on. Mid-chapter, <laughs> he's talking about some more definitions. Webster defines wealthy as having an excess of material possessions. So not everybody has the same definition, but Webster, who likes to change definitions, considers wealthy to be just you have an excess so I hate to be the tree hugger here, but I have to make the point. If you live in a first world country, you're wealthy. Stop fucking complaining. The nominal definition of wealthy, that's what we're going to use for the book, what the money men use. Quote, the threshold level of being wealthy is having a net worth of $1 million or more. Based on this definition, only 3.5 million of the 100 million households in America are considered wealthy. So this feeds into my theory, the skewed American millionaire mindset. <laughs> Having a Gucci bag don't mean you got cash. Your net assets have to be greater than a million dollars. A surgeon makes $800,000 a year. In the higher circles, you know, that's not really considered wealthy. <laughs> I'm sure every country has this fucking cash system. Let's get a quote in here. Another way of defining whether or not a person's household or family is wealthy is based on one's expected level of net worth. A person's income and age are strong determinants of how much that person should be worth. Everyone my age, you're watching uh, Charlie D'Amelio on TikTok or Jake Paul fight people. Like, my worth is behind average because I'm not an influencer. <laughs> These people are fighting Floyd Mayweather. Where's my title shot? In reality, we're all closer to George Floyd than Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> Floyd fights Floyd Mayweather. Hey, yo, ref, I can't breathe. <laughs> I went for that one. Every chicks, they think that they're going to sell their Instagram page as a pilot for a sitcom. Or, like, they think they're going to marry rich. That's an easier example. <laughs> Forbes admitted we are the first generation in American history to be less wealthy than our parents. So, like, I'm just saying to people my age, why can't we just embrace it? We're all fucking $200,000 in student loan debt here. Stop branding yourself. <laughs> Thomas's point is, anyone making over $55,000, stop complaining. You're above the untouchable cast. And this is actually how he said it, quote, Multiply your age times your realized pre-tax annual household income from all sources except inheritances. Divide by 10. This less any inheritance wealth is what your net wealth should be. Dude, fucking get lost with your equations. <laughs> like, in order to know your net worth, you first must calculate Euler's polyhedral formula. Shut up. <laughs> 55,000 and above. Stop complaining. <laughs> And people my age, stop acting like you're rich. We're going to talk about some racism to end the chapter because that's not that interesting. Uh, he had some ancestry trends and wealth. How do you know a Jew came to your house? Your wallet's empty and the dog is pregnant. Cis-Caucasian males don't come first in terms of wealth per capita. Quote, 
The Russian ancestry group ranks first. The Scottish ranks second, and the Hungarian ranks third. Although the Russian ancestry group for only about 1.1% of the households in America, it accounts for 6.4% of all millionaire households. We estimate that approximately 22 of every 100 households headed by some Russian ancestry has a net worth of a million dollars or more. I gotta marry Russian. What the heck? The Russians are better capitalists than us. <laughs> it's the underground pickle trade. The Russian mafia is all off the books. So you'd be wrong to think the beet-eating, vodka-drinking Slavs are the rich ones. I think there's even more wealthy Russians. Like, the explanation here that he's not going into, because <laughs> it's critical race theory, it's all Ashkenazi Jews. They make up a big part of the Russian thing. Jewish people are always rich. We are using Das Juden as a scapegoat. We have to blame the Russians. <laughs> you see, the Thomas J. Stanley's acting like a Nazi. I want full disclosure. It's racist when you try to hide things. What's interesting about the Scots thing, because they were second... Scots don't make much money per capita. They're just much more thrifty. Like if you watch those modern redneck videos, it's a bunch of Scottish people figuring out how to turn a water jug into a shower head. It's groundskeeper Willie out here. <laughs> Final quote for the chapter. In the chapters that follow, we reveal the highest prices typical millionaires report paying for suits, shoes, watches, motor vehicles. A significantly greater number of millionaires with Scottish ancestry reported paying less for each item than the norm for all millionaires in the sample. What do you call a Scottish walrus? William Walrus. <laughs> Freedom! Also, notable ethnicities in the American economy... Latvians and Turks were sleeper cells. You guessed it, Israelis. Let's go to chapter 2, frugal, frugal, frugal. You see, frugal means to use something sparingly. He said frugal three times. <laughs> Contradictory to the Scots, staying rich because of penny pitching, we're going to try to learn how to get rich by managing your time here. Quote, Efficiency is one of the most important comp components of wealth accumulation. Simply, people who become wealthy allocate their time, energy, and money in ways consistent with enhancing their net worth. That was the wrong drop. Fook. He's saying physicians take on more debt to become doctors. Even if you have a slower start, it could pay off in the long term. You gotta spend money to make money. I think it's something like one-fifth of businesses succeed past five years. And then most of them fail within those first five years. So, like I'm saying, yeah, the long run pays off. People are going to rage against fucking capitalism for this episode. I could already feel it. I don't know. Why do you think you should be getting paid more at your job when only one person is incurring that risk? <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh capitalism rightly rewards the person who anteed up for the risk. If we're just looking at it as a poker table, then I'll fucking cash out right now so I stop preaching. I see online now, there's these wolf in socialist clothings. They're these people that are trying to lure young kids to their compounds. It's on Facebook Messenger, it's on all the Reddit boards, r slash talk to me like I'm five. Can I be a communist on a farm? Not funny. 
So they call these kids Zomunists now, the Gen Z communists. <laughs> They're these people posting online. Hey, fellow youth, come work a plot of land on my farm, and you can start up my weed business until I got my certification. Sir, you mean sharecropping, right? <laughs> There's, like, scams on both sides of the spectrum. Obviously, you know somebody who's selling you know, Cutco and is doing the capitalist scam, but there's all these fucking communist scammers trying to get you to do free labor on their hippy-dippy love farm. <laughs> so I'm not, like, on either side, people. I'm just objectively saying, your odds of getting rich are the highest in America, so be happy about that. But scams exist in everything. Saying... Something about the style of life here. He's saying uh, hustlers can be millionaires if every second of the day they are devoted to the chase of the dollar. Um, yeah, dude. Like I said, if you prioritize every bit of your being about getting rich, you spend your day on M-Turks. You make 10 cents a second. You know, there's all these websites where you could like become a millionaire from your house. But a millionaire ain't that much money nowadays. There's a good twist here from Thomas. Of course, there are expectations, but people who spend many years in college, professional schools, or graduate schools are more likely to have higher levels of household overhead than less educated people. What? That blew my mind. This is what I hear. It's ringing around in my brain right now. They don't teach financial literacy at them fancy schools. <laughs> How come rich people are wasting more of their money? You should be smarter than that. Educated people spend more for no explainable reason. Well, I'm a higher upper class elite, so I'm educated and I deserve to be to have things. What? I can't even personify that mindset. You're in non-defaultable student loan debt and you're taking a ski trip? He's calling it domestic overhead. <laughs> in street terms... Bitches be shopping. Why are you spending if you don't have? There's nothing street smart about money at these high levels. He's going, uh, non-domesticated men don't have this high of an overhead. Yeah, so it's the family thing. <laughs> Bitches be shopping. The point is, uneducated people, they spend their time learning how to live cheap. <laughs> like hobos are Scottish. They are the most ingenuity ingenuous of any ethnicity they could find a way to stretch a fucking shoestring a mile long frugality is about living below your means <laughs> drive a shopping cart thomas is dunking on some more housewives operating a household without a budget is akin to operating a business without a plan without goals without direction We get it. <laughs> Actually, it was a funny subsection here. He compared two imaginary families. The Norths, whose head of household is a doctor, and the Souths. And he didn't say. The dad, I'm assuming, bounced at a strip club. The Souths were known as tightwads, but their money went further. Next on stage, ladies and gentlemen, tightwad. That's a pretty good strip club joke. Uh, <laughs> he was, like, discussing in depth the finances. Mrs. North contributed to the bankruptcy with several of her $30,000 shopping sprees. 
Remember that candy sprees? Wonder if that still exists. I'd like thirty thousand dollars worth of sprees. How do you fucking spend thirty thousand dollars? Yo, if my wife did this, on what? You would fucking throw hands immediately. Go to swipe your card for a sandwich and it's maxed out. <laughs> what the fuck? How I can't even I would buy like a massage chair. What do you spend thirty thousand dollars on? Did this long example about buying a car. People that prepare beforehand make better deals. Yes, Donald Trump, the art of the deal. I make huge deals, the best deals, big deals. Thomas is getting technical. This is how you maintain wealth. Tax increases are more the concern of Mr. North than of Mr. South. Why is Mr. North concerned about the issue? Because he needs to maximize his realized income to support his hyper-consumption lifestyle. Whenever someone puts the prefix hyper in front of a word, you know they're about to bullshit you. His hyper-consumption lifestyle. Stop fucking spending. I don't want to go too deep. I'm going to blow my lid on fractional reserve banking. Every time you spend, Uncle Sam is picking your pocket. <laughs> Sales tax is going to accumulate to the cost of vacations over your lifetime. Oh, you wanted to visit Europe and see the Eastern world? Uncle Sam needs to buy bombs. Spoken from a real money man, quote, The actions of the government are often a threat to high-income earners who use most of their income to support their lifestyles. This is especially true when there is political gain for those in power in targeting the wealthy. Actually, the people the politicians are targeting are high-income earners. In short, the IRS wants your firstborn child. In Long, why do you think everyone's leaving California? Like, what, you go there to get your nut and then you leave? Because it's expensive. So you got to be frugal, as the name of the chapter was. Otherwise, you're funneling money to the Fed. <laughs> and this point is lost on boomers. I kind of think that Zomunists might get it. But the older people were bought up in the world of... <laughs> Capitalism versus communism, the only two ways economies exist. Like, it's a paradigm to see the world through, which I'm just digging myself a deeper hole here. These de facto markets we have in America mirror socialist structures. As far around the campus you go, you're eventually going to end up in the same place. Compass, campus. I need a compass to get around campus. <laughs> we need some true laissez-faire markets. Otherwise, your frugality isn't going to matter, capitalist or communist. What do you call a frugal clown? Pennywise. <laughs> Moving along to chapter three. You aren't what you drive. Enough of the penny pinching. By this point, you realize you have a choice. Do you want to portray high social status? Or do you want to be financially independent? One of these two things has to take precedent over the other. Our subject for the chapter is Mr. Allen. <laughs> Tool time, Tim Allen. Was that his name in the show? Doesn't matter, quote, Allen is a self-made multimillionaire. He and his wife have lived in the same three-bedroom house in the same middle-class neighborhood for nearly 40 years. In their suburban house, they have standard sedans. Yeah, he's putt-putting around the storyline. TJ says... Mr. Allen's business, as well as his household, are highly efficient operations. The productivity of his business, coupled with the household's moderate consumption habits, produced many surplus dollars. 
These in turn were reinvested in his business and commercial real estate. Notice he's not like investing in stonks. He's not buying swag. He's reinvesting in his own business. It's hard to go wrong with an index fund. Like I'm talking about the stock market here. There's too many variables when you're gambling on fucking (laughs) Elon Musk who could trash Twitter with a tweet and then buy up all the stocks. Like, look at Nancy Pelosi's trading profile. Everybody is insider trading. You have a better chance with an index fund, but you have the best chance. This is a big one. You have the best chance reinvesting in real estate. That's just like stock trading for rich people. It's a safer way to hold your money. Mr. Allen thinks it's a false calling in life to attempt to look wealthy. This is his own big hat, no cattle philosophy. Quote, if your goal is to become financially secure, you'll likely attain it. But if your motive is to make money, to spend money on the good life, you're never going to make it. I like it. He used the word motive in there. And yeah, he's saying, if all you want is to stunt on people, it's not going to last long. Think about it this way, man. Like if I run a business on the same street as you, I'm McDonald's, you're Joe's Burgers. I'm going to spend you out of business in the first week. I'm going to use the good fries and the good chicken nuggies and you're going to be out of business because I have more capital. So if you go to the country club and you're wearing your new Brooks Brothers bullshit, there's going to be some other guy who now knows that you like to dress spiffy and he's always going to throw on some better seersucker around you. You know what I'm saying? This is how the streets work. The better drug dealer, the better business or burger shack can always outspend the little guy. It's a trap. I'm trying to warn you of traps. In a way, Thomas is saying, like, who are you going to show your designer clothes off to? It has to be an internal pursuit. (laughs) Otherwise, you would not want to be. I don't know. The personality, because he's talking about motive here, the personality that stays rich are the people who are motivated by freedom. What motivates you? Bragging to other people or being free from the whole thing? Money should never change one's values. Making money is only a report card. It's a way to tell how you're doing. It sounds like a flawless quote. Money is just a report card. (laughs) But if, Thomas, if you're the kind of person who measures your human value by monopoly books, by wealth... So, yeah, money can be a measuring stick for how developed you are as a human. (laughs) He's starting to sound like Sigmund Freud here. Marriage is the measure for if you're a human. I need to write, like, a horror film about (laughs) getting your wealth drained by a divorcee. Women are a living paradox. They put wealth on the highest pedestal, literally above any characteristic honor anything, and then they spend all their money on fucking bullshit this is devaluing yourself as a brand it's a living paradox that's why what i'm saying sounds confusing because it is confusing why are you swiping the card this is my horror film right here it's gonna be a lady who just keeps moving on to rich guys and then they get poor gay i wouldn't watch it i'm talking to the men here 
Shopping is feminine as fuck. If you take away anything from the episode, it's not cool to stunt your new, I don't know, maybe for some people. Materialism shouldn't be your one source of happiness. Even if it's a new car, get smart. A smart car that'll crumple under two pounds of pressure. Wealth is about financial independence, not status symbols. The best wedding ring? <laughs> Let's put 40 grand towards a plot to homestead. Quote, Mr. Allen recognizes that many status artifacts can be a burden, if not an impediment to becoming financially independent. Life has its own burdens. Why add excess baggage? Um, like boats. People always say boats start to own you because you got to go there and wipe the barnacles off of it every day. I think that was Thoreau. The objects you own start to own you. Moving on. Just ask yourself, do you want to be light as a feather or do you want to be weighed down by Gucci baggage? <laughs> Big point Thomas was trying to make. Um, being cheap is a different way in life than being a miser. Misery, by definition, means spending as little money as possible. And he's saying cheapness. These are the people who always think they're getting one over on the system. So they will even spend a little bit more just to think, wow, I got a good deal. <laughs> We're at the movies together, but I used a Groupon. My friend, you have been played. Cheap people are also dumb because they put themselves in these situations. Like rich people, the Scots aren't putting themselves in the situation. At the end of the day, you can't afford some friends. That's the one-line takeaway from Dostoevsky, Notes from Underground. It's a good book about classism in Russia. You can't afford everybody. An underground man even got his hookers paid for. <laughs> so what are you, a cheapo or a miser? Or do you like to blow money? Similar to previous subsections in the chapter, he's saying... The miser is self-motivated. Some more about motive. I think we're tired on that. Mid-chapter, he says, millionaires and buying cars. How do they do it? Quote, about 81% purchase their vehicles. The balance lease. Only 23.5% of millionaires own new cars. See table 4.1. Most have not purchased a car in the last two years. In fact, 25.2% have not purchased a motor vehicle in four or more years. More than half of these people have never spent 30 grand on a car. And 80% never spent 50k? What? Like, just for reference, people, a BMW X1, this is their cheapest model, that's a $35,000 vehicle. So 80% of millionaires will not buy a BMW X1. Who are these people riding around in Range Rovers and Beamers? There is no answer. I'm asking these questions. Seriously, this is one of the bigger red pills, realizing how everybody is in debt. Look around you. What? <laughs> We're all playing with a house of cards funny money. Attorney offices, physicians, CPAs. All of these types of, like, money men will give discounts to each other for their services. So, just to disprove myself, that's how a lot of people own the newest Audi dealership lease. TJ says, the affluent with this orientation believe that the price discounts they get through aggressive shopping and negotiating with multiple dealers are more than worth the time and energy exerted. Again, it isn't that big of a deal because you're paying 
recurring taxes and vehicle tags. Like the cheapskate move is to avoid all that. Anyway, these misers who are a country full of misers who think they're millionaires. He's got me a V8 Super Duty Ford Ranger fully kitted out. Your kids are going to have to sell the farm to cover that. <laughs> going to sell it to Bill Gates. Mr. T, he was a stockbroker at the end of the chapter. And he was saying, much like cars, he never bought a suit that wasn't on sale. He's the uh, millionaire miser or is he a cheapskate clipping coupons? If you're making purchases with the hopes of one day wealth arriving... You're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> I think that's bullshit. You gotta spend money to make money. If you could have Bill Gates wealth or cure Africa of AIDS, what color Ferrari are you getting? <laughs> Gonna move along to chapter four, economic outpatient care. This one's all about keeping the money in the family. We all know you're taxed when you make money. We all know that you're taxed again when you spend money. Did you know that you owe the government taxes for dying? It's fucking selfish of you to die. Give us some money. He started the chapter talking about some other BS taxes. The gift tax. Yeah, you're not allowed to give people stuff. <laughs> Uncle Sam would throw a fit at birthday parties as a kid, you know, unless everybody gets a goodie bag. We got a situation here. Larry's wife... She gets $15,000 in gifts a year, and they want to secure the will to less than that amount. I don't know. There must have been some tax thing where you didn't have to pay on that. But, yeah, these people were turning on each other for Larry's money <laughs> this whole chapter. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is just sad shit. Like People, friends, family, everybody turns on each other when there's some blood in the water. Oh, money. Thomas says, EOC is widespread in America. More than 40%, 46% of the affluent in America give at least $15,000 worth of EOC annually to their children or grandchildren. So he's going, the number of families able to do this increases 7% yearly. That's good news right there, right? 7% increase yearly of people who could take care of their spawn and what thomas doesn't mention in the book the bigger hidden statistic the opposite end of the spectrum is growing much more rapid the data just came in for 2021 in denver people for the first time the new homeless population matched that of the existing population what it's not like la where we have 300,000 homeless but maybe there's 2,000 in 2021, 2,000 new people were living on the streets. Like, some families are getting into this new caste that Thomas is talking about, where you pass down $10,000 or whatever. At the same time, a lot of kids are moving to homelessness. <laughs> like, at a much bigger rate. I don't understand how people act rich when fucking everybody I know is one bad month away from living on the streets. We're all enamored by wealth when poverty is growing as a faster phenomena. Like the money men aren't even trying to hide the fact anymore. The World Economic Forum, you're the first generation to own nothing and love it. The trope used to be, bro. <laughs> if you don't get your acts together, 
you're going to live in a van down by the river. Now the World Economic Forum says, if you play your cards right, you can retire in a van by the river. Look at that, ladies and gentlemen. The goalposts have shifted. I'm excited for the day that China comes knocking at our door, tries to claim the $2 trillion debt. <laughs> you can't rob America if America's already broke. <laughs> Are like Thomas's tips about increasing your wealth by 7% really that helpful of information? The homeless population is doubling with people who never thought they'd live on the streets. <laughs> I know I should hang out with richer people. Maybe that's the answer. Seriously, every open micer either has been, is currently, or is about to be homeless. But this is the wealthiest country ever. The lesson for this subsection is don't give gifts <laughs> to get off of that shit because it's... The IRS is watching, so just give people money, and they don't have to give it to the state. The Jews actually do want to cancel Christmas. <laughs> Listen to where he takes this chapter. According to Mary, it's not too difficult to pay for basic family necessities out of Larry's income, plus her annual cash gift from her mother. What is difficult is purchasing motor vehicles, and Mary and Larry enjoy foreign luxury. Okay, man. Am I supposed to feel bad for these people? <laughs> We're all in this together. Us and our foreign luxury. We're not in this together, Gal Gadot. Go back to your castle. Shut the fuck up. Let me shift your goalposts. <laughs> Thomas is going on about Larry. This guy makes 60 grand a year and he wants to send his kids to college. Maybe a uh, luxury sports car is a bit extraneous, Larry. I don't know if I'm a financial advisor, but what the hell? <laughs> I'm starting to think some people are just, like, financially retarded. The uh, relationship to money that people have is spiritual. That's a bigger point. I'll have to try to frack it in. Like, some people think <laughs> you're born to embark on a consumerist adventure and buy the next thing. And then some people have this... Isaac Asmovian repulsion of the soul when it comes to dealing with money. Larry is the worst kind of fucking money worshiper. He's like, let's spend all of our money without having any college educations. A rare bigger point here from Thomas is a quote. The subsidized lifestyle of many adults has another consequence. Neighbors see how Mary and Larry live. What do they conclude? Too often is it that heavy spending is an acceptable way of life. How can Bob afford that new car? We work in the same factory. We live in the same neighborhood. Bob has a wealthy relative. Stop looking over the fence, comparing yourself to other people. You're going to spend money that you don't have for no rational reason. Well, I deserve it. <laughs> no way that bitch can afford that brand and not me. You see this everywhere in our culture. We all want nicer things to rub in our neighbor's face. Here's a kooky way to spend the money. Let's put it towards kids' education. Okay, moving on. Bigger quote Thomas put out is, Should Larry tailor his behavior because his actions affect those around him? You know, have empathy. <laughs> like I said, he's spiritually retarded. He's also fucking financially and emotionally retarded. 
naturally parents infer this as a fact you know if i fucking give my kids something it devalues the currency to them and he's going actually <laughs> you know the federal reserve devalues currency he's going some people have attitudes like larry that are set from the start in short thomas doesn't know how billionaires do it and there's one answer for us peons quote why don't the financial advisors of gift receivers emphasize thrift in their message? All too often, financial advisors have a narrow focus. They sell investments and investment advice. They don't teach thrift and budgeting. may find it embarrassing, even degrading, to suggest clients invest in that, change their lifestyle to that. Frugal, frugal, frugal. It's taboo to tell someone that they waste money. This is in every single religious culture. Like, motherhood is a very religious veil to pierce. You can't tell another mother how awful it is being a mother. <laughs> like, you have to hype it up. So in the religion of money, it's taboo to suggest someone shops less. Should you really have that, man? Like, you can never say that to someone or they'll fucking think you're the devil. This is where I would usually insert one of my commercialist social engineering rants so why don't people listen it's because of pride <laughs> you know i could never be poor i'm a rich person so i gotta act like it i think this is some of the dumbest advice that you gotta act rich to be rich that's only what posers say people that aren't really wealthy and like i'm not really wealthy so don't listen to me i don't have advice but saving makes you feel free <laughs> like it feeds into the Jungian shadow. These people who are praising. Uh, I'm not going to try to go Freud. Let's end the chapter. Mary left Larry. What? The high school sweethearts. He couldn't control his urges. Quote, she's much better off than her former husband. Her success is also a function of her high level of integrity. Something that was lacking in her former husband. Damn, so it might just be integrity. That these fucking yeller bellies are missing. <laughs> Every time you spend money, it's a lack of integrity. If you gave the inheritance to a... Yeah, he goes back into all of that crap about how... Like, you can give your different kids the same inheritance and one will blow it. It's, but I raised them all right. People are different. I think I'm going to leave my kids a diss track as their inheritance. I'll call it an ill will. This is a certified hood classic. Moving on to chapter 5, affirmative action, family style. Mandated stereotyping. That's what affirmative action is. Yeah, we think Asians are too smart, so we're going to start them out with negative SAT points. <laughs> Sounds fair. America, the land of equal opportunity. Oh, say can you see... Why black reading scores are so low? This is the shortest chapter of the lot. Thomas says, The decision to share their wealth with their children is easy. The difficult decision is how to divide the capital. He's saying equality isn't essential in the family unit. You know that people deal with inheritance differently, so you don't have to give everybody the same amount. Hold up. That sounds inequitable. Families are racist? He says, many of the most highly productive sons and daughters receive no wealth transfers whatsoever. Yet, as we have discussed in chapter 4, that's one reason they're wealthy. People become 
money literate at different periods. So he's saying it is on the parent to know when to distribute the ill will. Uh, basically the same as the inheritance chapter, right? <laughs> the funniest argument for the chapter was type A and type B wives. He said type B is basically a child. <laughs> he said more variants of outcomes happen when a B wife raises kids. And guys can turn B wives into A wives. <laughs> so if we're talking about affirmative action and equality... <laughs> Shouldn't dumb type of B wives have to be set up with smart husbands? Yeah, he's going, the best bet for a dumb kid is an inheritance. Get them to marry rich. <laughs> for real. You need, like, a... You can't give a dumb person a lottery ticket. Going hard, Thomas mentioned how women have a majority of medical degrees and a majority of high-earning doctors are men. Yo! That is actually fucking insane. That disproves the 70 cents to the dollar. That's one of the dumbest myths that ruined the 2010s. Women thought they were feminists because Obama lied to them. What the fuck, bro? Women have most of the medical degrees, and they just don't use them. They don't go on to become anything. What the fuck? That's a big waste of money right there. <laughs> I should be talking. Thomas says daughters of wealthy couples tend not to have uh, careers on their own. Why, in the past 20 years, the affluent population typically has been composed of one type of household. More than 80% have married couples with children in which the wife did not work full-time. What message did this send to the daughters of such couples? Again, over time, the kids' fucking intrinsic values come from the environment they're raised in. But at the end of the day, they're going to revert to whatever fucking thing they were in the ether... You only have to worry about the message you're sending a person if they can think for themselves. That's kind of a dick point to make, but it's true. We're talking about like money and passing it on. You know which one of your kids is most impressionable and which... <laughs> Here's a comparison. Hitting your kids. It's the same exact thing, paying it forward. Not every boy is so impressionable that he is going to go on to beat his offsprings as well. Many girls, to make it a girl example, like the girl who has the stay-at-home mom who he said, they're going to want a career of their own. And then they're going to realize that's bullshit. <laughs> but it's true. There's the swing, the swing back, and then who the fuck knows where the pendulum is going to stop. <laughs> Affirmative action works in the family because you're admitting everyone is different and so i don't understand how we have affirmative action in society when we try to pretend that everyone's equal <sighs> my brain just kind of broke a little bit i'm hearing the so society's equal but we have to start people at different test scores dude what <laughs> my first day on campus I saw a sign that said admissions, so I did a Hail Mary and started confessing. <laughs> that was a completely out of context joke. Here's a good point from TJ to wrap on. Never boast about how much money you have accumulated. This sends a confusing message. One child can't complete, compete with their parents on this basis and do not really want to. He keeps going on. 
uh yeah all this when i was your age <laughs> it's not good for cohesion between generations showing money to some personalities discourages them showing bills to other people motivates them it's just trial and error out here so the best scientist wins real experimentators final quote you can't hide from adversity you can't hide from children from life's ups and downs the ones who achieve do so by experiencing and conquering obstacles. My dad told me growing up, look, son, people overcome adversity at all times. Look at Beethoven. People told him he was deaf, but did he listen? <laughs> Going to chapter six, find your niche. What? This is a paradoxical chapter. If I say niche three times, will I get sucked into a black hole? I started this chapter with some self-explanatory information. Why is it that you're not wealthy? Perhaps it's because you're not pursuing opportunities that exist in the marketplace. There are significant business opportunities for those who target the affluent, the children of the affluent, and the widows of the widowers of the affluent. Mm, yes, I made this show solely to target affluent widows. It's genius. I need to start finding <laughs> women with dead husbands ethical. Um, the big thing in that quote, he said, significant opportunities are with the affluent. This is the Jeffrey Epstein rule we have on the show. Only do business with the ultra rich. So I joke about myself. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Unless you have passion. You see kids who like rise up the open mic scene because they take their family and friends hostage they bring them to all the bringer shows. The people who don't wind up quitting are focused on, on perfecting their product. So see the example? <laughs> the people who don't... It's back to the beginning. Do you want to stunt for your friends and family or are you trying to find a tool that will make you independent? Now, today's book isn't about fucking selling an honest product. It's about getting rich. <laughs> <laughs> pretty hard to get rich while you're remaining ethical seriously talk to an industrialist sales professionals and even some salaried workers quote never produce high incomes perhaps it's because their clients and customers have little or no money yeah that's the big rule for this chapter find your niche a niche of wealthy people that is affluent people often frugal so you gotta find the big spenders yeah you need to find like those class two or three millionaires I was talking about. They're trying to rise the ranks of money. I don't understand how rich people want to be sold on things. Like um <laughs> like a B twelve shot or like those IV things. This is just a rich white person who wants to waste sixty dollars. What the fuck are we talking about here? I'm gonna get a shot of B something the sun gives me for free. I'm going to give my hangover a super quick, just fucking deal with it. <laughs> this is a rich person with money to waste. So if you want to make a business, find out exactly where those crosshairs are. And I thought this was interesting. What, like, shouldn't rich people know when they're being sold? How else did you get rich? And women should be this as well. They're getting pitched all day by dick salesmen left and right. You'd think a woman knows when they're getting predated by one of those H&M credit card schemes. <laughs> Dude. 
sales. Like he's saying, you can remain ethical if you sell to the rich. It's some Robin Hood shit. Steal from the rich. Taking the point globally, Thomas made a topical point about Taiwan. China also wants their capital and country. China wants the Philippines for its soil. Who can guess how the Chinese government will treat the affluent population of countries it acquires? China's a real threat to many of affluent people who live within its influence. So China is like the California of the world. That's why it's called China-fornia. <laughs> Seriously, they're going out and making sure that rich people have to <laughs> support the lower class. I thought that's like what the church and what our welfare programs do. No, rich people got to do it. While NATO is fucking out here trying to regulatory capture the Ukraine. You know what's a huge niche to make millions in? The military-industrial complex. <laughs> you remember that movie War Dogs? That's a good night for you. The average Joe can still get rich on blood money. Jonah Hill in that movie learns that if you stockpile weapons, the government will buy it back to you with tax dollars. I go on govdeals.com all the time. Like, you can... One day when the blue helmets come, <laughs> they're going to try to get my stockpile of 9 millimeters. And that's the day that I get to say, come and take it. It's a fucking good movie. And definitely go on govdeals.com. You can buy tanks on that website. Yeah, dude, there's money to be made in fear. War profiteering, pandemic profiteering. That's what it's all about, baby. TJ says, people who are interested in targeting the wealthy need to know the geographic distribution of the opportunities available. <laughs> Dude, it really re only was rich people who cared about getting the virus. You know what I'm saying? Trite. Uh, yeah, you got to swim with the big fish if you want to get bit. What do big tech and sharks have in common? Megabytes. Chapter 7, our final one, Millionaires and Ayers, eight Ayers. Most frequent question TJ is asked by reporters is a simple one. Who are the wealthy? By this point of the book, we know the answer. Quote, most of the affluent in America are business owners, including self-employed professionals. 20% of the affluent households in America are headed by retirees. Of the remaining 80%, more than two-thirds are headed by self-employed owners of businesses. If I was a reporter, that answer wouldn't suffice. Who are these people? Enough with the fucking percentages, math boy. I'd ask, what type of business do millionaires own? It's a much better question. We just got half the muck out of it. TJ can't answer that because he thinks millionaires are evenly spread out across all types of industry. This is the worst BuzzFeed article ever. Ten industries millionaires are in. Technically, he's not lying. They're all spread out. It's a long way to say on page 300. Yeah, there's no real one way to get rich. Fuck you, Thomas! <laughs> if someone actually had the answer, to be honest, everybody would be rich. You know, these books wouldn't exist. My thing to tell you today is you got to save. All the Gary V people say 
you know, do exactly as I do. You will also have a tax haven in Puerto Rico. I can't do exactly what you did because you already did it. Like, <laughs> find your, you got to fill an oddly specific subgenre that hasn't been solved yet. I'm not rich, so don't listen to me. Yeah, dude. Literally everyone I know is broke. <laughs> Live entertainment is a pyramid scheme. The top 10% have day jobs. I'll save all that breakdown for a Gemini episode. The people at the top making millionaires are verifying Thomas's quote. It doesn't matter the industry that you're in. It could be the fucking clown industry. You have to be at the top of your industry to cash out. Otherwise, I don't know, you know, I've been brushing elbows with some of the higher-ups. The 1% of the comedy Denver scene. Dr. Fitzgerald, this guy is at open mics. <laughs> what does that say, too? You're the top 1% and you're still getting stage time at open mics? He's one of the local headliners at the Comedy Works. This man has to subsidize the fake career of comedy as a veterinarian. Doctor, that's his whole shtick. Like, the middle-class comedian is fucking hollowed out, is the only point I'm making. And that might be true about America. Remember, the top 7% is growing, and so is the homeless population. The middle ain't growing. <laughs> There's no option. So, we got a quote. <laughs> uh, it's about some guy with a condo community. He's organizing the board. His statement drew anticipated boos and hisses from the audience. After gaining the undivided attention from his target audience, he outlined his counter-proposal to turn his condominium unit over his company profit-sharing and pension plan and allow assembly line employees to use the unit as vacation property. So this asshole, he just, without telling everybody, forced a vote that our uh, apartment complex is now going to be Airbnb valid. This guy, Mr. W, he's bombing in the meeting because he's got some millionaires in the mix. Like some of these people bought this as a timeshare and were already doing it. <laughs> and so now all the lower people are going to be able to do it as well. Like you got to be priced out again. My first apartment in Denver is some old guy owned it and then he sold it over to one of the major management companies in the city. <laughs> Everything went downhill. Everybody's rent went up. I think Denver is like communist St. Petersburg. Half of the buildings you go into, the elevators are out of commission. <laughs> Dude. Mr. W had some regrets after selling uh, this corporate shtick to everybody. We had sold other units in other complexes in which people weren't willing to sacrifice their dogs. So how much is that doggy in the condominium worth? To the W's, it's worth several hundred thousand dollars. That's how much he estimates he lost in selling his unit at below market value. Piecing that story together, he also said since it's an Airbnb, you're not allowed to own dogs. And some people were like... I'm going to sell my unit below value because I love my dog. My dog is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's the real point here. Go back and listen to Airbnb story if you want. People value things differently. Some person's dog, they would eat for lunch. And, you know, some people's, they take to the groomer. Peeping over the fence and looking at how other people's dogs are being treated. 
It's going to get you nothing but a dog barking back at you. Hmm, great metaphor. Here's a quote. A hostile environment, even in an atmosphere of beautiful people, is not a good place for dogs or for prodigious accumulators of wealth. Hell yeah. Get underground man if you want to be rich. (laughs) How does the fat cat like his steak cooked? Wrong drop, but there it is, ladies and gentlemen. That was Thomas J. Stanley's The Millionaire Next Door. I want to thank you, the listener, most of all for tuning in. Get frugal, find your corner of the market, and find yourself here in the same exact place next week because we've got a fun edition coming. (laughs) You can tell how good of an edition it is by my inaudible screeches. Ladies and gentlemen, my personal favorite author, next week we are breaking Albert Camus' The Plague. The world wasn't always up in arms over undulating plagues with 2% death rates. Albert Camus, he's a tradesman of the truth. He's an apostle of absurdisms. He is a despo of Don Juanism. Our boy is back with a fictional tale about how different people react in outbreak situations. And I think enough time has passed where we can look back and on the two years of what happened and how we've changed. So it should be a really fun one. This book is, I would put it in my top ten. It was a mind blower. It's going to be our first fiction book of the year as well, so it's a good change up. Getting topical with some high-level literature, as always, on Nick's Nonfiction. Thank you guys again. You deserve two thank yous for being here. I hope you learned something about how to save money today. Uh, Please check out Harry Schwant on Instagram. Those are some free memes. And for the price of 100 pennies, you get 30 days worth of free content from Nikolai over at The Niche on Patreon.com. Ladies and gentlemen, can we get a random soundboard effect to take us out? It's a lot of damage to my vocal cords, but I love doing it every week, being here with you guys for an hour. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you all soon. My name is Nick Munez. Peace.